to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book? It's time to write your book. Welcome to the Write Hour, nonfiction tips from the right coach with Joyce Glass, where you can learn the business and craft of writing. Welcome to episode 604 of the Write Hour. I absolutely adore our guest today. I met her last month at the North Carolina Christian Writers Conference, and she is an amazing speaker and writer. Today, we discuss the giants we face in writing. Writing can be exhilarating and frustrating, and sometimes at the same time. Karen gives us some tools to overcome the giants we face when writing. Karen Porter is an international speaker, a successful businesswoman, and the author of six books, including her newest, If You Give a Girl a Giant. She is president of Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, serves on several boards, and coaches aspiring writers and speakers. She and her husband, George, own Bold Vision Books, a traditional publishing company, and Stone Oak Publishing, an author-contributor Christian publishing company. Karen says her greatest achievement is her marriage to George. In her spare time, she follows her lifelong quest to find the perfect purse. There's another reason why we get along so well. I love purses, too. So, may today's episode inspire and encourage you on your writing journey. everybody and welcome to the next episode of the right hour today i am excited to have with me karen porter i recently uh, got to know her better at the north carolina christian writers conference i had to think about that a second and she was a pleasure to meet there and she did a talk that i absolutely love so we're going to talk about some of her talk today but we're going to get to know her a little better and karen i'm so glad to have you here thank you delighted Awesome. Well, tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a writer and a publisher, because I know it was not a path you were actually seeking. It, <laughs> well, actually, no. I was in the corporate world for a long time, and uh, more than thirty years, actually. And uh, I was not thinking, although I had I had written sort of privately and put it, what I wrote in a drawer, and never said it to anybody most of my life, but. Um, just uh, a few years before I, uh, I, I left that job, I was a, uh, I got opportunities to speak, and then I started writing. And so I was uh, started writing, really giving it to somebody and asking for publication in the mid two thousands, thousand five or so. And I got some magazine articles and then a book contract. And I wrote a book called I'll Bring the Chocolate, which is about, uh, well, let's see, it compares all the luscious qualities of women's friendship with all the luscious qualities of chocolate. I didn't know you had that book. (laughs) Yeah. Do you you know what's on my Facebook description that says, Lover of chocolate. And there you are. That's you. So you need. I need to send that to you. I need is, that book. It's, yes. It's a lot of fun, and it sounds a little fluffy, but it's actually a very deep uh, book that is about, um, you know, about uh, about friendship, and it's, and it's got deep concepts in it, like like faith and like loyalty and like forgiveness, and I mean, it's got some deep stuff in it, but it's all couched around um, the fun of chocolate. So. 
sounds wonderful. So then that led you, how did you get into publishing? Because I know that there's a little story there too. As I said, I had this job for, uh, and I was working as in a corporation and I had gone really high in the, um, in the corporate, um, on the corporate ladder. I had gone really high to um, uh, vice president of international marketing. And so it was a big, fancy job with a lot of responsibility and a lot of perks and a lot of fun and a lot of really, really great opportunities to travel the world and meet heads of state and all kinds of opportunities like that. Well, at one point, a foreign company bought our company and they gradually uh, removed all of the U.S. management and began to manage it in the foreign country, country. So I was eliminated. And so that was a really hard time for me. I, I needed to heal because I thought I would keep that job forever. Right. And I really lost, kind of lost my identity and, you know, who I was. So I, uh, I had needed the time to heal. And I, I had been writing some and had been helping different people with writing and various parts of that. And so I got this opportunity to work for the Texas Institute of Transportation, which who knew we had one? I didn't know. (laughs) They had reports and uh, that needed to be edited. And they contacted me and asked me if I would edit them. So for a long time after losing that big job, I, I edited that work, you know, at home in my pajamas while I healed. And so then that editing led to me getting some certification as as a coach and doing more editing. And eventually I helped some authors, you know, edit their books all the way through to publish, self-publishing them. And then that eventually led to us, to my husband and I forming a new company called Bold Vision Books, which is a traditional publishing company. And so uh, that's sort of where it started. It just started sort of it, it evolved from a few jobs here and there and there. And then eventually um, it became this company. So we've been in business now about eight years. And we've just been amazed at how fast it has, um, it has grown and how fast we've grown and all of the various ways that God has blessed it. So that's, that's kind of how we made that switch. Yeah, sounds wonderful. And yeah, it's kind of crazy if you want to know the truth because we were like, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have any money, we don't have any employees, we don't have any machines, we don't have any warehouses, we don't know how to do publishing. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? Why not? Let's do it. So that's how it started, but we learned a lot from those. Uh, those Sometimes those are the best ways to start, though. Yeah. You know? The ignorance is bliss kind of thing because you, you don't know what you don't know, and so it's good. <laughs> yeah, if we had planned, we probably had never done it. So, yeah, if you sat around and planned it too long, you're like, oh, this ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so true, so very, very true. So, well, recently you released a new book, which I absolutely love, and I've given it to our women's um, group coordinator here to see if she'll do it at our church and it's if you give a girl a giant fighting for your life yes and we do have a study guide a six-week study guide too so that's i know i'm excited for our group to do it together yes and i can't wait to do that and go through it but 
tell us a little bit about that book and kind of where it was birthed from. Well, you know, what's, where did that come from that you said, hey, I want to write a book about a giant? You know? <laughs> well, it took a long time for the book to come about, but it started uh, just in my daily Bible reading. And I came across this passage in 2 Samuel where it listed uh, some Philistine guys who uh, attacked David and his mighty men. And I begin to study a little bit about who they were, and it turns out that they're that they were brothers of Goliath. So I sort of surmised that you know David picked up five stones when he um, when he went to go after Goliath. He really only needed one. Why did he pick up the other four? And I would like to think that it's because he thought he might have to fight those other four brothers at that time. Right. He they ran away, but they came back. And so these giants came back to attack David. And each time they came into his camp to attack him, one of his mighty men, he had many, six or eight hundred of them, they, one of them rose up to slay the giant. So then I got a little interest, more interested in it. And I thought, this has got to be something more than just some names and lists in a book. Mm-hmm. So I looked up the meanings of the names and discovered something amazing. Each of the four giants represents a giant that we face, you and me, right now, today, in yes. this, this time period. So, for instance, the first giant that attacked, his name was Ishnibanag. And if you look up his name, it means to sit down, carry, and don't move. Well, obviously, that's the giant of discouragement. And discouragement is something we face every day. I don't know anybody who doesn't get discouraged. We all get discouraged. And I get discouraged easily. You know, just some little something can go wrong. And I'm down the tubes, discouraged. But uh, discouragement is a real giant for all of us. Right. And, And so we have to face it. Well, we think, and we're told by our society and by the experts, that the way to get out of discouragement is to, you know, sort of get some self-confidence or pull yourself up by your bootstraps or go somewhere and get a new attitude or get a new vocation or find some new friends or even take a pill. That's how you get out of discouragement. Well, God doesn't say that's the answer because if you look at the guy who killed Ishmael, his name was Abishai, and he represents the faithfulness of God. And if you think about that, Joyce, I mean, think that's the real answer. It is. That's the real answer. That's God's answer to discouragement. So if you're discouraged and you're down and you can't pull yourself up, just start remembering how faithful God is. And remember that that's his nature. That's who he is. He was faithful before. He's faithful now. He will always be faithful. And that will pull you out of the pit of discouragement. And that's true. That has helped me many times because... There's been so many things that, that has happened in my life that when I look back, I'm like, I could not have orchestrated those series of events if I wanted to. And God worked it all out. And one was like the birth of my son, which is a long story I won't get into now. But every anytime I get discouraged, I think about, you know, if God can work all that out, he can work this out, you know. It is amazing to watch him and, do that. And when you, when you cling to that faithfulness of God, then you don't, you know, I mean, you know that discouragement is just just a giant. And you can just slay the giant with saying, you can't discourage me because I know 
So the next question is, and this is something that, you know, writers have giants in their lives too. So what are some of the giants that writers um, have to deal with? And obviously discouragement is one of them. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's so many with, with, with being a writer because, first of all, it's a lonely job because you do it pretty much alone. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I would really encourage anybody who's a writer to get a group, a critique group that you can share sort of what your life is like and then you can share your writing and get feedback and and just, just have that camaraderie with people who understand what it's like to be alone writing. So that's that's one of the worst parts of being a writer is being alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another big problem is procrastination. It's so easy to say, I'm, I'm going to write tomorrow or I'm going to write this later or I've got all these ideas to write, but it's not easy to sit yourself, as we say, sit your seat in the seat and actually do the writing. And to solve that problem, you probably, you know, we need uh, we need a schedule, we need a, an appointed time to write, and uh, and it has to become something sacred to us that we don't we don't turn away from it like that. Right. Um, Be intentional that, about yeah. it. And then the other really big problem for for writers is is rejection because mm-hmm. so many things that you turn in to a publisher or to an agent and they say this just won't do it this this just won't get it right. <laughs> and you, start, you, you poured your heart into it and it's your like a baby and then they say no we don't want to publish that and that is really you have an ugly baby we don't, <laughs> <laughs> we don't like your baby and that is really tough to take and you can take heart from the fact that most every writer who's been successful has got a long, long list of rejections on their on their resume because, I mean, I've read stories about, like, Moby Dick was rejected 150 times or something like that, and uh, other, other people have had, just if you read those stories, it's unbelievable how many times they've been rejected before it finally hit. Well, and yeah, I'm, I'm not a Stephen King fan, but I read his book on writing, and he talks about that, too. Yeah. You know, many, many rejections, and nobody now thinks of Stephen King as having rejections. Like, who would reject Stephen King, you know? Yeah. And it's, it, it's like, okay, even the greats, before they were great, and probably, then I'm sure everything they do isn't perfect now, either. You know, they don't, no one always bats a thousand, you know? That's just yeah. the way it goes. So keep that in mind and perspective that it's not this Pollyanna. I write this, the world's going to love it. And the publisher, the first publisher I talk to is going to want it and life will be beautiful. No, that's. And I'll quit my day job and I'm going to make a fortune and all of those things. Those are just not true. Right. <laughs> so don't tell yourself that. Right. <laughs> Let's get based in reality. <laughs> But what can writers do to come overcome some of these giants in their life? You know, defeat and rejection. Um, You know, I I think one of one of the things I've done that has been uh, really helpful to me uh, is try to understand how I write and 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 how to figure out my life schedule. So, you know, I have a busy, busy life with my with our company. We have four companies, so we're we're busy running them. We travel all the time, uh, you know, sometimes 40 weeks out of the year. So that's another issue that causes a problem. And and then I have a family. I have 
kids and grandkids and and uh, and I have and I'm very involved in my church and in my community and my neighborhood. So there's just so many areas where I am swamped. How am I going to get time to write? So here's what I one day I thought I'm really going to figure this out. So I took a day and I started like from seven to eight in the morning. I'm going to read my Bible from eight to nine. I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to check my emails and then from nine to eleven I'm going to write and then from eleven to twelve I'm going to do this and I, all the way down the schedule. I just have every hour planned. Well, that was hideous for me. It, it did not work at all because first of all I might spend two hours in the Bible in the morning because I got into something that I couldn't get out. Or I might uh, I might check my emails and then suddenly there's some tragedy or some some emergency that I've got to take care of. So I've, I've spent more than that. And so I could never get, I could never make it work like that. Right. So, so my husband came up with this idea for me and it worked. So what I do is on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I work on uh, our businesses. On one of the four companies, I do, I spend the whole day doing whatever has to be done. I keep a, you know, an up-to-date schedule, and I do whatever I have to do on those companies. On Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, if I have the Saturday free, I write. Mm-hmm. What that does for me is, first of all, it gives me permission not to work on right. my company that day. So it's Tuesday, I'm not at the office, even though I'm maybe sitting right here. But it's Tuesday, I'm not at the office. So that gives me permission. And the second thing it does is it allows me sort of ramp up time, uh, you know, to get my engines going and get right. started because I need that. I need to sort of get into the groove before I write, and it really works for me. And uh, that's the solution we found. And um, other people have other solutions. I, I have one friend who who decides that when she's going to write the next book, she's already gathered as much information as she has, and then for like three or four months, that's all she does. She doesn't do anything else but write for that time. And she might write early in the morning, all day long, late at night, she gives up a lot of stuff during that period of time, but she gets it written. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to do it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, other people that, you know, have full-time jobs, they, you know, their Saturdays are their writing day. And they get up Saturday morning and everybody knows to leave them in the office where they are so that they can write. So if you get the cooperation of your family and and you figure out what works for you, then it, it you can make it work. You can make time to write. And it's so important that you do. Yes. And I think that's the thing that I teach too is be intentional. You know, just don't expect that writing time is going to drop in your lap and you're going to, all these words are going to flow out. If you don't plan a time to write, you, there's something's going to fill that time, you know, whether it's Netflix, family, you know, the email, work, whatever, <laughs> will fill that yeah. time. Yeah. And if you aren't intentional in setting that time, and, and that's what I tell people like you, you don't necessarily have to be rigid. It doesn't have to say from 11 to 1 on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday, I'm going to write. Yeah. If, if that, you know that that's not going to work for you because I like routine. I don't like schedules, if that makes sense. 
Like, I like doing things in a certain order, but I may start at nine one day and I may start at 11 the next day. You know, it may start at eight one day because I'm not an early riser <laughs> and, and I will be up late at night. And that's when my brain's gone and grooving and I can get stuff done and it's quiet, you know, every, nobody's bothering me. So you, you just got to figure out those times that work. Right. I love that. So now that you've said that you've have told us a little bit about this, um, what do you, with, with your writing time? So when you said Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays at your home, um, do you have a place that's your favorite place to write? What do you work on? Do you structure your time or, or how do you, how, how does your writing time work? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it sort of depends on what I'm writing. If I'm writing nonfiction, I have done a lot of preliminary work. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is for months and months and months, I have been thinking about the subject. And I typically have a folder for each chapter. And if I come across an article or a quote or something or scripture or something that I think might fit in that scripture, I drop it in that folder. And well, I'm actually using Evernote for that now, but I used to physically have folders. And so whenever I sit down to write that chapter, I already have lots of information and that then I can pull it together. So that's that's the structure when I write a nonfiction because I've already structured the table of contents, the, the contents of each chapter. And then I've added all these stories and illustrations and other things that are that make it rich. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like fill in the blank, you know. Yeah. Now, I, I, I have not published a novel, but I have written, I'm writing a novel, I should put it that way. And that writing is pure pleasure. It is storytelling at its utmost, which is one of my favorite things. And it is also, um, it's more, for me, it's more seat of the pants. I sort of have a, I don't have a plot. There, I understand that there are plotters and there are pantsers. <laughs> I'm right. a pantser, I think. But, but I have a general idea of where I think the, the story's going. Mm -hmm. and I start writing scenes. Mm -hmm. I would say that I've probably written, well, I've written about 60,000 words so far in this novel, but I would say probably 15,000 of them are never going to see the light of day. But they are things I needed to know about stories. I needed to know about the character. Right. As I, as I built that character and what happened, the experiences that that character had. So I probably won't ever use those in the book. I might use them later in some promotional way. But I just, I had to write them just from the creative standpoint of understanding where this person came from and what they experienced. So uh, you know, that's kind of discouraging to say I've written 60,000 and maybe 20,000 of it is not good, <laughs> but that's okay too. So I do, uh, that it, That for me is more of just writing a scene and let it happen. All right. It fits in my sort of overall structure, which is not a very formal plot. So that's not true of a lot of, of a lot of writers. A lot of writers plot it out, novels, or non uh, fiction. They plot it out, and they pretty much know what's going to happen everywhere. Right. Fill in the blank, so. Well, I, I've got one in the works, too, so I understand. But what you're talking about, what I, I did do that for a lot of the backstory. I kind of I, I used a book that prompted some questions, and it asked 
So I'd ask my character these questions, and then I would answer them as if I was the character. And it brought this whole other dimension into my story that I had not even thought about till I answered that question from my character point of view. And so that's that's the fun part about fiction is that you can go off on these little rabbit trails and it'll lead you places that you like, ooh, that would be great, this part of the book, you know? And so, I, heard a, I heard a very famous writer say he was, he was just typing along and a character died and he said he looked up and he said, I didn't know he was going to die. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course you do. You're the writer, but it really happens. When yeah. Writing these scenes, the characters sort of take over, which is great fun. But I have no idea whether it's ever going to be a marketable book, but it's great. It's a great creative endeavor. I do like to do it. One of the things I do, uh, Joyce, that that I would really encourage any writer who's listening is this: is to read books on the craft mm-hmm. and speaking, but of writing. So I have hundreds of these books, and if I hear about a new one, I get it and read it. And so I made up my mind years ago when I went to my first writers conference, which was in Florida many years ago, and there was a man there. He was, uh, he was older, and he obviously had everybody's respect as he stood before. You could tell that everybody in the audience just like respected this man. I have no idea who it was, to tell the truth. But I remember thinking, these people really respect this guy. And so he sort of spoke to us about being a writer, and he said, I have read one book on the craft of writing every month since I was 21 years old or something. And I was stunned by that. I was like, well, you're the expert. You're the one everybody looks up to. Why are you reading a book every month? And and then it dawned on me, of course, that's why he was. That's why he's the expert, because he's been, he's been reading it and practicing, yeah. So I made up my mind I was going to do that. So every month I read a book about the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. And I've read many really good ones and some that, yeah, not maybe not so much. But some I read over and over. Uh, because it is so good for me to have to understand the craft of writing, the job of writing. And so, if anybody wants to become a better writer, that's my that's my advice. I love it. Every month, read a new book or an old one, but read a book on the craft. And I have both writing and speaking because those are my expertise areas. So, but I read a book on on the craft every month. Yeah, I love that. And I, I don't know about you, when I read one of those, it inspires me and it gives me some thoughts like, ooh, I could do this with my story or I could do that with my story or I could write a book about this, you know. Right, right. And it, it gets your creative. Oh, no place better to get ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gets it going. So well, you've given us the advice of reading a book a month or as many as they can. What other words of advice would you have for new writers or maybe someone who's struggling to write a book? Maybe they've written one but it, and they're on the next one, but they're kind of having a hard time. What, would, what encouragement and advice would you have for them? Well, uh, I think uh, two things. One is, is write. Find the time and do it. Do, do the writing. Because right. nothing will grow you better. But number two, and I've just come to believe this, um, Go to writers' conferences. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. As an editor who acquires books and from writers like you, 
Um, it is so powerful to me when you have been to a writer's conference and you have listened to people talk about not only the craft of writing, but also about the industry and the procedures and how publishing happens and how editors work and how publishers work and why publishers do what they do and accept or reject or make moves like that. Because over these eight years that we've had this company, I've discovered that when I bought a book from somebody who did not know those details and did not understand the industry, it has caused us great grief just in dealing with that author and in the success of the book. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand those those areas, then you 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 really don't understand what you're doing. Okay, you might be a great writer, it might be good, but that's not what sells a book. Right, uh, that's, that's a one part of the pie. So you know, I don't think I'll ever acquire another book unless I find out how many times this person has been to a writers conference and what they've learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because our jobs are hard. Our jobs as, as publishers are are really tough, and we don't need the kind of struggle that we would get from uh, from somebody who just doesn't understand the industry. And so, yeah. I, you know, I just tell you that way because um, it's really it's really important. I think go to these conferences, spend the money, invest in yourself as a writer. Right. You'll meet other writers, people who do what you do. You'll you'll really love that, and you'll learn so much. You'll meet fabulous people like Karen. So, <laughs> it, it was fun, it, and that's what I've enjoyed every conference I've ever been to. Uh, I get just as much, if not more, from the connections I make mm-hmm. at a conference than I do from the content. I always get valuable content from the conference, from the classes and the keynotes. But the connections that you make, they're important. I mean, because there's that support. And Karen's giving you the other side of the view here from the publisher side. So if you want to be traditionally published, listen up. (laughs) They do not want to have to hold your hand and teach you everything that you should already know by the time you get to their door. So that that's and that's how you do it. That's kind of a new revelation for me. But, yeah. uh, but I, I believe that it's, it's a new criteria that we have to have. We have yeah. to have somebody who is at least familiar with the terminologies and the way things work. Yeah. Right, right. Cause, and, and that's kind of the thing that surprises me. And, and I know there was a lot of newbies at the conference that we were at recently. But the, some of the things that they didn't know, and I'm thinking, how long have you been writing? Because, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I don't know, it's long. I have a couple of authors, several authors who have, we have published their book and they don't understand. Yeah. One of the things is that they don't understand that this is, while we're Christian, this is not a ministry. Right. Right. Unfortunately, we have to make tough decisions sometimes because Mm -hmm. it is a business. Yeah, definitely. Well, I so appreciate you being here and your words of encouragement and wisdom for us. It's been fabulous. And I look forward to going through your study with my study group. So thank you again. It's great fun. If you give a girl a giant, it's a, it's a really remarkable story. Yes. In the Bible. I, I love it. I love how you read the different giants, 
have the different meanings and how you do that. That's but that was that was great, and I look forward to studying that. So definitely, and I'll have a link in the show notes for people to get that book too, so they can find out more about it. Thank you again, Karen, and you have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Right Hour. Are you wondering how to start your writing journey but feel overwhelmed or confused? After taking four years to write her first book, Joyce completely understands. She created the four steps to the right book to help you clarify your focus, create and organize your content, and complete your book. She shares tips on the writing process, and you can download the writing planner to track your progress and create weekly and monthly milestones to complete your book. You can sign up for the short email series at therightcoach.biz. That's T-H-E-W-R-I-T-E-C-O-A-C-H dot B-I-Z. Or go to the link in the show notes for the podcasts. You can sign up on the side pop-out on the computer or on the phone. It's a blue bar at the bottom that pops up. You can also go to the bottom of the homepage to sign up for the four steps to the right book. Don't let fear and overwhelm stop you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.